anybody can go and claim good quality images and good quality report. Everybody has an MRI or a CT or an ultrasound or an X-ray. So we said, what is the key thing that we can talk about? And we started thinking about how do we differentiate ourselves? Because that's the biggest thing. So what is your positioning as a business? What do you stand for? What are the key strengths or the key things that you are selling to these doctors? Welcome to the second season of Grit and Growth from Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and South Asia's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs with insights from Stanford faculty and global experts on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. How do I market my products? It's one of the things that entrepreneurs ask us about the most. But there's something missing from that question, and it's something pretty important. The customer. Before you can dive into the how of marketing, you need a strong grasp of who you're marketing to. And for many products, the answer is surprisingly complex. So on today's episode, we're exploring customer segmentation. When used right, it can help you understand your market, focus your product, and reveal customers you didn't even know about. To illustrate this process, we spoke to a company whose entire strategy was transformed by segmentation. Sona Imaging Center is um, a medical imaging diagnostic services company in Kenya. I'll introduce that voice in a moment because he wasn't yet on the scene during Sonar's humble beginnings. So we do radiology services, that's MRI scans, CT scans, ultrasound scans, and uh, X-rays. And this was founded in 2011 by Dr. Musioki and Dr. Ngayu. So they started in Dr. Ngayu's kitchen. Dr. Ngayu is a gynecologist. And so it was space that is like just enough for the bed for the patient and the ultrasound machine. That's it. You can't get in there more than three people. By 2016, Sonar was five years old. The doctors had added another clinic, but they'd hit a wall, and they were uncertain how to grow further. Enter Nick Musioka. So my name is Nick Musioka. I'm a director at Sonar Imaging Center. Nick spent the early years of his career with well-known multinationals, marketing their products across East Africa. But by 2016, Nick was looking for a new challenge, and he found a big one in Sonar. The team felt that, you know, we needed now to move this business to the next level in terms of the commercial-mindedness so that we can be able to become more competitive. What was your initial impression? What were the problems that you saw in their commercial strategy? Well, the first thing is that, you know, this was a, like almost like a hobby. It wasn't much of a, a very clearly defined strategic business because these are doctors. And I could see the lack of the commercial mindedness and all that. And, you know, it was like, oh, we've invoiced something, guys. Okay, this looks interesting. So then you get to the next thing. And I said, why don't you guys invite me? I join and probably I can structure this from a commercial point of view. And they said, are you serious? Share your CV. So I gave them my CV. They looked at it and I joined Sonar as a commercial director. By joining Sonar, Nick inherited a difficult problem. Radiology clinics all pretty much do the same thing. So how could he differentiate sonar? It's something he wrestled with for several years. But we don't have that kind of time on a podcast, so we brought in an expert. Who am I? Who am I professionally or who am I personally? <laughs> this is Jonathan Lavav. So who am I? Professionally, I am the King Philanthropies Professor of Marketing at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. And I've been at Stanford since 2011. The first eight years of my career I spent at Columbia Business School. 
Wait, so you've got 21 years of university experience, but you look like you're 32 years old. In how my is, dreams, how I'm does that 32 work? years old. I'm 47 <laughs> years old. Wow, <laughs> yeah. well preserved. As a professor of marketing, Jonathan has a lot of opinions on the subject. So let's wind him up with a lightning round of true or false. Sales and marketing are easily combined into one function. False. Nothing's easy. Sales and marketing could be the same person. Depends on the size of the organization. False. Small businesses generally don't need a marketing function. So false. We need to market to everyone because everyone is a potential customer. Definitely false. Marketing is mainly promotion and advertising. You're going to make me cry. False. <laughs> marketing is mainly to acquire new customers. False. We don't need marketing because our products sell themselves. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so false. Over the years, I have heard every one of those statements from entrepreneurs that we work with across Africa and South Asia, where Jonathan also teaches for Stanford Seed. But there is a more subtle mistake that he often sees. I ask them, okay, what's your market segment? They say, oh, our product is for women ages 35 to 45. And you're, then you ask them, well, which women? All women? Well, no, I guess not all women. Okay, well, what characteristics do they have? Like, you know, what need are you actually meeting? Different customers have different needs. That's something Nick learned hands-on when he worked across multiple East African countries. You have to really, like, understand different cultures, different languages, and understand what words mean, or even colors. Tell me about colors. So, like, for example, in African context, black is seen as not a good color. So if you had a product that is all black, and that is now in my edge, sort of my edge segment and before then, then that product may not sell well. It looks like uh, it's associated with evil, it's associated with uh, things that are not good. But, you know, it's changing. But earlier, you know, people would look at that and think, this is not the right thing. You go to different other cultures and you find that red also represents a certain meaning. I mean, the other thing is language, right? You have many languages across the region. There's a famous story about when Chevrolet first started marketing this car called the Chevy Nova in Latin America. It didn't do well, and it, somehow they didn't figure out that Nova is Spanish for no-go. So they had a car called the Chevy No-Go in Spanish, but they, they didn't really, because the, the brand was Nova. Hey, it's the Chevy Nova. <laughs> so they had to rename the car to sell it. I think you are, you are very right. Luckily, in the larger East African region, you either are using English or you are using Kiswahili. And both in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, you'll use Kiswahili. In Ethiopia, it's totally different. English is not even there, so you have to use the Amharic language to make sure that you, know, you get as close to the, what you want to say as possible. And it's not just Amharic, right? It's Amharic, it's Oromo, it's Tigrayan, it's all sorts of things. Yeah, it's all those three. They all understand Amharic, but you go to the Tigray area or to the Oromo area, they don't want to, you to advertise to them in uh, the Amharic because of the infighting. So you have to be sensitive to that as well. Your target customer doesn't just govern what you say. It also dictates how you say it. You know, it reminds me when years ago I was in charge of a big forestry project in southern Bangladesh, and we were trying to encourage these rural villages to plant trees, and we were providing the tree seedlings. And what we realized was that in some of these places, the only way you could reach them was by radio. 
So we commissioned a famous singer to write a song about the importance of planting trees to preserve the environment. And we put that song out on the radio. And then there were some places where they weren't even listening to radio. So for that, we hired a theater group to go from village to village and do a play, like a dramatic play in the village, all about you know environmental issues and why it's important to plant trees. And then the third thing we did is we made a comic book for kids And, you know, literacy rates were very low in these rural areas. So it had to be a comic book that you could understand without reading. So we made a comic book about tree planting, and we spread that all over these villages. There are all different ways of trying to reach our target audience. It's not actually radically different from what uh, we did also in in East Africa. What you are calling um, theater groups, you call them roadshows. So you get these guys with vans, and we had to find ways of making it as cost-effective as possible. And you develop jingles that are relevant to the brand in local language and skits that people can play on in the market days. And we synchronized it. The market day concept is very big in Africa until today. So you have uh, in rural areas, people go to markets on a certain day. And then you would be at the marketplace just getting people, doing skits there, getting them to come and dance. Zaire and uh, Congo music, we call it Lingala. It's very popular, so you play that for people and they are dancing and then you get them the attention and then you can give them the message. Since your marketing is dependent on your target audience, you have to understand who they are. But that's more complicated than it sounds. In fact, your actual customer may not be who you think it is. Let's start with the most simple question. Who are my customers? How do businesses tackle that seemingly simple question? That kind of understanding actually requires a fair amount of anthropological work. It really depends on the specific context you're in. So in marketing, we distinguish between the user and the decision-making unit. Okay, so you make toys. Like you're a toy manufacturer. You're Darius Toys R Us, all right? So who's your customer? Well, your customer is the child ultimately needs to want this toy, right? You sell at any price. If, you know, Jimmy is like, oh, I want this, I want this really badly, right? So that's, that's one level of segmentation and needs finding you have to do. And, but the second part is, you know, it turns out kids don't have know, credit cards. They don't have credit cards. <laughs> Unless grandma gave them some money for their birthday, you know, they're not buying it. The parents are buying it. That's the decision-making unit. So you also need to... Think about, okay, what values does that decision-making unit care about? Because, you know, ideally, you haven't agreed to every single request your child has made of you. And so, you know, there's things you say yes to and there's things you say no to. And the things you say yes to is because they concord with your values and what you're trying to have your kids become. And the things you say no to is because they don't concord with your values and it relates to something you don't want your child to become. This is why so many parents buy science experiment kits for their kids. That, that nobody that uses. nobody uses. Yeah, nobody uses. Only the really weird kid uses a science experiment. And if you're a listener and you are a science experiment kid, you are weird. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. And so that's complicated because now it's like you're selling to this channel and you need to do your segmentation twice and you need to do your needs finding twice and you need to do your kind of everything twice except from some of the tactical things like the pricing and stuff like that, because that actually, it's, it's the decision-making unit that matters, right? So if I'm a kid, I don't know anything about price. So there I'm really working with the decision-making unit. On the other hand, there's some things that the kids really care about that the adults are indifferent about. Like, you know, maybe there's a color scheme that's cool. Maybe there's a certain, Is it cool in school? That was the number one thing. Is it thing. cool in school is exactly right. And so that the parent wouldn't know, but the kid does. So who else matters is a big deal depending on the business. 
who else matters is a big deal depending on the business and depends on the context. And, you know, in some environments, the, the user and the decision-making unit are the same. And in other environments, there's decision-making units that are different than the users. And so you need to be aware of what kind of environment you're, you're in because that gives you the scope of what your needs finding has to be like. This distinction between user and decision-maker is essential to sonar imaging. So let's take an example of a doctor who's ordering tests and imaging. Sure. The person who's getting the imaging has no way to really evaluate whether the, they're getting a better x-ray from this clinic or that clinic, right? You mean the patient? The patient, the yeah. person who's actually being sent off to get these images. I guess this is an example like the toy and the child. Yeah, except they don't really have any say. Their say is only meaningful in so far as it affects their impression of the doctor that sent them and then whether or not they feel that doctor is good. Right, so they're relevant, but they're kind of become relevant in a more tangential way. In that situation, I would really want to understand the doctors. The realization that doctors were the decision-making units was important. It meant that Nick's marketing needed to focus on a group that may never set foot inside a sonar imaging center. Your customers aren't walking in the door, they're sent to you. They are sent to us. Right, so the doctor is a primary customer segment. The doctor is the primary customer segment, yes. The first thing that I saw was that we have the doctors, but then how are we reaching those doctors? Are we reaching enough doctors actually for this business to be sustainable? How are we reaching those doctors? What is the messaging actually? Are you just going and meeting them and saying, please send me the patients and uh, thank you very much? Or what, what do you say? What, what do you stand for as a business? But this realization also opened the door to more complexity. Who are the people that we are dealing with? We are dealing with the doctors. They are the people that give us business, but they don't operate alone. That doctor is supported by probably a nurse, probably a matron in the hospital that they are in. There are nurses that uh, will get involved. They are then the doctor assistants. I think that's what they are called in the U.S. Here we call them the secretaries. The healthcare industry is one of the most complex ecosystems out there. There are multiple levels of users and decision makers, each with their own unique influence. So these systems that are, uh, I'll call them albatross systems, that's triply difficult because you're right. It's like every layer is a segmentation scheme. It's a needs finding. It's a research. It's a real kind of deep understanding. But the difference between success and failure is understanding those different layers. There are no shortcuts with that. This is where segmentation comes in. To fully understand what he was dealing with, Nick had to break the customers down into what he calls target groups and what marketers call segments. So we went out actually and tried to map out what we call the customer target groups and now started looking at, so who are the customers? Who are these customers that you are going to? How do we start then talking to them? For us, we said, okay, they are doctors and we called those power wielders. So they are the people with the power because when they write that paper, that's it. Nobody will change it. Nobody can do anything. And the needs of these people is quality, is how their patient is treated, is turnaround time. So when I send a patient there, how long does it take before they come back? When they come back, can I believe in these images I'm seeing? Did they pick what I wanted? Because this guy understands the patient better than us. There is the pathology that he's looking for. So if he doesn't see that, then he starts questioning what we are doing. And after that, now you have people that I call the um, actors. So the patient is an actor because he's acting on information that is being given by the doctor. 
they can't change that. And a lot of the time we've seen patients being asked, go to Sona, and they go to another place, and they go back to the doctor, and the doctor says, listen, I don't want this report. I can't work with these sort of images. Please go back to Sona. So the patient has to act on this. A lot of the time, the patient does not have a lot of power with that. So we call them actors. Nick's research also unearths some hidden decision makers. Then after that, there are guys that we call gatekeepers. And that is the secretary, that is the ambulance driver, that's the um, security guy. <laughs> so these guys have a lot of power because they get that and they decide, they can decide. Some of the doctors that are standalone, they are private practice, they rely on their secretaries. And that young lady or young man is so powerful because the doctor relies on this guy, collects the money for the doctor, does everything. And there is only one in an office or two. So the doctor, a private practice doctor, tells their patient, you need to go get a CT scan. Does the doctor decide or recommend which imaging place the patient goes to, or that's what the gatekeeper is doing? So now some of the doctors say, you go to Sona, but some will just say, the person at the front there will direct you. And that's why they are the gatekeeper, because they decide where you go. By segmenting his customers, Nick was able to find a brand new way to increase referrals. You know, where we are in Nairobi, that's where the business is. It's mainly consultant doctors. But then the biggest challenge with that is that, you know, these are targeted by everybody. And the second thing is that, you know, there are not as many. We looked at this and realized that, you know, the bigger influencers is the, um, the gatekeepers. And that's where the volumes are. Then after that, you have um, guys that we said these are advantage seekers. So you have... That's a, another segment. So you have big hospitals or big practices that are looking for cost, negotiating for uh, certain preferences for their patients so that, you know, they are saying, look, when I send my patients to you because I can send you like five patients a day, and that's a lot, and then they say, can they be a priority? Can they come first? Can I be the one on the top of the queue when they get there. So we have one such uh, a facility here which has about 17 orthopedic surgeons and we put an X-ray there because they don't want reports actually, they just want the image. It's a broken bone, so they just get the image, put it there, check, say, okay, fine. It's healing well or whatever it is, the nails are done correctly, so that's what they want, convenience for themselves. So all that is what we, we looked at and said, what are the characters of this? What are their pain points? So you have to be very careful how you deal with them. Okay, so let, let me just quickly review. So you have doctors, they're the power wielders because they write the referral. You have the actors who get, you know, act on behalf of the doctor. You've got the gatekeepers who actually are sometimes, you know, making decisions that are in favor of you or your competition. And then you've got the advantage seekers, which are customers that have power collectively because they can send so much business to you. So it never occurred to me that, that a, you know, radiology or imaging clinic would have such a complex set of, you know, potential customers, some of whom are paying, some of whom are important but are not paying. So in this whole complex thing that you've laid out here, where did you decide to focus your energy? We have the doctors. So what are the key strengths or the key things that you are selling to these doctors? So what is your positioning as a business? What, what do you stand for? That was the first thing. The basis of our model of operation is that there has to be a radiologist. 
okay? There has to be a radiologist because doctors then can trust that they'll get the right quality. And quality is so critical, whether it's quality in terms of the images or quality in terms of the reporting. So that's critical, and that's what we stand for as SONA. You may have heard Nick use the term positioning. This is where research gets translated into action. So now I've done that homework. I understand the market, which is the set of people and their preferences. Now I say, all right, where is the space for me to solve problems? Okay, I'm going to solve this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. And then my positioning is I need the potential user to understand that the solution that I have for him or her, that's the best thing since sliced bread. That's what's going to solve their problem. That thought process and that formalization between your solution and them perceiving that your solution is the solution to their needs, that's positioning. We've tried to really like position ourselves as um, a business that is about meeting the needs of these target groups in terms of yeah, quality for the images and also quality for the report. You have to be careful about positioning on quality, though, because that's what everyone says about their products. I ask an entrepreneur and one of the seed programs, okay, so what makes this service of yours better, this product better? And they say, oh, ours is higher quality. And I ask, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, our quality is better. And that's like a buzz moment for me because you have to be able to define along your quality dimension. Because guess what? If you can't define it, your customers won't be able to define it. And you know your product. Your customers are barely motivated to process a tiny little element of your product. So, you know, it behooves you to care enough to kind of do the hard work to be able to define what your quality dimensions are. Nick needed another way to differentiate Sonar from its competitors. So we said, what is the key thing that we can talk about? And we started thinking about how do we differentiate ourselves and how do you differentiate? Because one of the biggest challenges was competition. And now competition has grown and there are so many mushrooming facilities. It was starting to become even unprofessional. So you are getting a lot of people that are going out, talking to customers, giving them all sorts of promises and probably not delivering on those promises. And we talked about customer service. So we said we need to have unquestionable customer service. What is the experience of that customer when they come to us? And what is the feedback that they take back to the person that sent them? I love this. So product differentiation, it can't be on the basis of the machines, but your initiative was unquestionable customer service. Nick used what he learned through his research and applied it to each of his customer segments. But then after that is again customer service for the doctor. So if that doctor wanted to consult, so the doctors there can call our team of doctors, so Dr. Musioki and his team of radiologists, and say, I have this patient and this is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Should I ask for this sort of CT or should I do an MRI or what do you think? Because the doctors may not be very clear about, you know, so what is the right modality or what is the right procedure to do at that point? And then they ask. So we are hoping for that. They are not the specialists for that area, yeah. Because they're not the specialists. They're not the specialists, right? Yes. You're the specialist. So the doctors are a key customer and you want to gain their trust and you want them to refer patients to you. So one crucial way to do that is to be a source of, to help them with their own diagnosis, even before the images are taken. You're solving a couple of pain points for the doctors, right? You're, you're helping them make the proper referral 
for the proper type of scan. You have really high quality equipment and you're doing good analysis uh, and diagnostics, which translates into great reports. So those are that's how you're addressing the doctor's pain points and gaining their trust and their referrals. I mean, do you, did you have a formal positioning statement? Yeah, we have, a, we have a positioning statement, yeah. We say for the complete sonar imaging center, for the complete picture. Because what we are saying is that, you know, we give you the picture, but also we give you the meaning behind that picture. Nick's research also inspired him to focus on patient needs, because even if they're not decision makers themselves, their feedback can still help or hurt you. So the patients, their, their main issues are two or three. To them, customer service is turnaround time. How much do they wait here? And the cost, how much do I need to pay? And then the other thing is, how do you treat me? You're trying to avoid a patient going back to the doctor and saying, sonar imaging is terrible. We want them to go there and say, the place you send me, those guys are so helpful. They are so uh, warm. You know, they understand what they are doing. They are so professional, all that sort of stuff. What he learned also informs how he approaches the gatekeepers. Yeah, the gatekeepers, like I said, their biggest thing is that you have to show them that you respect them. They can get easily pissed off because they think that you are dealing with them in the wrong way because you don't think they're important. So you have to deal with them as though they are very important. You have to treat them with care and with respect. I'm curious, how has this gone? I mean, you started this whole process, it sounds like, in 2015, 2016. It accelerated. Where are you now in the, in the, in the unquestionable customer service initiative? And what kind of outcomes have you seen? How, how has it translated into, into revenue? At the point that Vian was here, probably we are the fourth largest imaging center in, in Kenya or in Nairobi, in the region where we are. And now we are probably the second and maybe even closer to the number one. And in terms of revenues, I think by that time we were doing about 45 million Kenya shillings. Now we've gotten to almost like 270 million Kenya shillings. So that's huge growth. We are still on the journey. Because of their success with this strategy, Sonar is pursuing further ways to segment their customers. And so now we are moving from just segmenting the sources of the patients or the influence on the patient coming to what are the diseases, what are the needs of those doctors that are sending those patients, so that then you can elevate that approach that we are going with. So like, for example, we are seeing oncology or cancer cases are quite a big thing. So how do we improve how we are dealing with such patients. The doctors for such patients want comparability. So they are looking for the patient I sent to you last year. He came again in January. He came again in uh, July. And probably they sent them again in December. Can you tie that all together? Can you give us comparability of how it's improving or worsening their condition, what is happening there. And I think that's a critical thing that we are looking at from the customer service and also the process point of view to be able, you know, to do that more correctly so that now we are responding exactly to what they are looking for. And that differentiates us completely from um, everybody else. It's good that Sonar's marketing strategy is evolving because customers evolve too. You don't just go out there in the world, assess the needs, walk away, and just go hibernate and do your product and then hope to sell it. This is something that has to be done con on like a regular basis because people's tastes change, market realities change, competition changes, culture changes, macroeconomic conditions change, microeconomic conditions change. You know, you're older, like what I did 20 years ago is not what I would do now and I don't have 
you know, like I have more flexibility along some dimensions and far less flexibility, particularly in my limbs, <laughs> you know, along other dimensions. You know, there's not a lot of 27 year olds with backache, but 47, if you don't have a backache, it's like you haven't lived. It's not a one and done process. It's a continuous improvement process. Always want to use data to understand where things are going wrong. And you want to reinforce with your customer service team all of the key things. And it never stops. You have to always do this. Definitely. It's something that you have to keep doing. It's something that is evolving because the needs keep changing. And uh, we have to keep refreshing it every day, every week, every month. Like you're saying, it's something that we have to just keep doing. We have to just keep reinventing. Marketing is complicated. You're trying to convince someone somewhere to make a decision. But that decision depends on a huge number of factors, some cultural, some contextual. Different populations require different messages or even different forms of messaging. So the first question of any marketing strategy has to be, who is my customer and what do they need? Without that information, even the most well-thought-out campaign will fall flat. Segmentation can help you get there. By breaking your customers down into categories, you can understand their specific needs and how you can fulfill them better than other companies. It can also show you who the decision makers are, so you can focus your efforts on them. You may even unearth segments that you didn't know existed, like Nick's gatekeepers, unexpected customers that wield surprising influence in purchase decisions. It's a process that takes patience and observation, but it can be well worth it. Your best customer might be one you haven't even considered. Thank you to Nick Musioka of Sonar Imaging Center and Professor Jonathan Lavov. You'll hear more from him in our upcoming masterclass as we explore the psychology of marketing. That's next time on Grit and Growth. This has been Grit and Growth with the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us to share the stories of these incredible entrepreneurs with as many people as possible. To learn how Stanford Graduate School of Business is partnering with entrepreneurs in Africa and Asia, head over to the Stanford Seed website at seed.stanford.edu slash podcast. Grit and Growth is a podcast by Stanford Seed. Erica Amoake and VN Virgin researched and developed content for this episode. Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Grit and Growth.